Elementary music teacher friend, you love what you do, but you might feel unappreciated and, in fact, unseen some days. You may even feel like you're on a music teacher island and just want to connect with other music teachers who can relate to both your struggles and wins when it comes to teaching elementary music. I get you and understand completely the feelings you're having. That's why each and every week, the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast will provide you with solo and guest episodes that will help you realize you're not alone in your music teaching journey. Throughout each episode, my goal is for you to be able to walk away with actionable steps and ideas to help you feel like you're ready to take on the new week with whatever challenges may be thrown your way. Hi, I'm your host, Jessica Peresta, and I'm so glad you're here. Whether you're at home, in your car, in the shower, or wherever else you're listening, grab your cup of coffee or whatever other beverage is nearby and listen in to the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I am so excited to be joined by Missy Strong. This is a guest I have been wanting to have on the podcast for, well, since the beginning of the podcast. And we are going to talk about building a sense of belonging in the music room, something I am so excited to ask her about and to hear her perspective about. I would love to have you introduce yourself to the listeners today before we get into everything. Sure. Um, Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the podcast. I don't usually get to say that. So that's kind of fun. So (laughs) Um, I am an elementary general and choral music teacher here in Southern New Jersey, literally five minutes across the bridge from Philly, Um, though I am originally and proudly from South Florida, where I was born and raised uh, and lived for the first 21 years of my life. Uh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Filipina American, cisgender, straight woman. And I also have the privilege of being a wife, a mom, a friend, I hope, and a colleague uh, to some pretty fabulous people. Um, I love reading and traveling and tea and watching movies and dancing and joking around when I shouldn't. Uh, and germane to this present conversation, I have kind of a really odd love for talking about music ed uh, at almost any time and in multiple formats, um, whether it's teaching teachers, um, teaching grad classes, podcasting, writing books or articles or presenting, uh, which I have been privileged to do um, here in the United States all over and um, around the world, which is kind of cool. Uh, I have been a general music teacher um, for 27 years. Wow. Which to translate for some people means I am old. (laughs) And that is the end of a little bit about myself. (laughs) Okay, first of all, you're not old. (laughs) I totally am, but thank you for saying that. (laughs) And second of all, I just love that. You have done so much. In the world of music education. <laughs> it's incredible. No, if you guys have not met Missy, she has been a podcaster for, pff, I was listening to your podcast, I believe. You're, you've are you had two now mm-hmm. since before I even started one. So 
yeah, you're, and then, yeah, you presented everything and I know you're, yeah, you teach grad <laughs> students, you do so much. And so I would love, this wasn't even on the questions I sent you, but how do you, which I'm sure you get asked this a lot. Oh gosh, how do I do it all? Full-time teaching load. And then, yeah, having a family, but then doing all your side gigs you do, how do you, is it just about trying to balance it all on your calendar? Or well, <laughs> let's see. <laughs> here's, okay. So here's two things. I believe wholeheartedly in the grace of God. So the grace of God is empowering me to do a lot of things kind of feels supernatural, but I also am kind of um, irresponsible and take on too much because I am a classic um, overachiever, but something I've learned about myself in the pandemic is I'm also um, very lazy. And so (laughs) part of me, I either want to be doing everything or I want to do nothing. And I'm not, that's not just like me being funny. Hmm. Ask my family when I come home from work, if, if it's, if I don't have anything to do, I'm literally like, I'm going to put on my pajamas and read in bed in the dark. Please, everyone <laughs> leave me alone. So that's one thing. Grace of God. Mm-hmm. The second I, thing, yeah. go ahead. No, gonna, no, go no. Ahead. I was just going to say, I feel that. <laughs> Yes. A lot. Yes. (laughs) And well, it's like, you know, I don't want to be like, oh, it's the grace of God. And I do everything well. It's not that it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's the grace of God. And then I'm often overstepping it by Mm -hmm. like you're doing like my one, even tonight, uh, I was doing work and my kids, I can hear them yelling up the stairs, mom, we're eating dinner. I'm like, just, I know this is so cliche, but five more minutes, just give Mm -hmm. me five minutes. Um, so I've tried, I really have been trying to be better at saying no to things. And that is definitely a thing that we're all saying. Yeah. And I have said it for a long time, but the truth is I am not good at it. And yeah. so this year is the first time I feel like I'm actually saying no to real things that I would, that I feel compelled to do, mm-hmm. but I'm telling myself, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do all the things. You don't need to answer all the questions. You don't need to uh, fix all the situations. So, okay, I'm 53. It's taken a while. And as I'm talking to younger music educators, I really am like, I implore you to learn from my example, Mm -hmm. to not um, have that, to learn to, to ignore this compulsion to do too much. So yeah, how do I do it all? Well, I think I'm just, I have a propensity to want to do a lot of things um, or nothing. Mm-hmm. It's either one or the other. And I have to say, and this is the truth, uh, my husband, Jeremy, uh, if it weren't for him, there's no way I could do this. And that's a real thing. So yeah. this kind of makes the some of the you know, partners and wives and what husbands mad when I say this, but it's the truth. If I had to do all the things that many of my colleagues have to do when they get home from work, uh, I would not be able to do all this. So I'm trying to say this in a way that's just not like super gender stereotyping, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but like, let's just say if the expectation is, okay, Missy, you work all day, you come home, you're going to do laundry, cook, do all these things, I would not make it. So Jeremy and I have a great um, 
balance. He stays home. He's a musician, a far better musician than I ever could hope to be. Um, he does That's awesome. so much of it. That's awesome. So anyway, I went way too long, but no, Jeremy is the secret sauce. Like yeah. if I, I could, so when people, for a long time, I, I didn't, it didn't hit me when people said, said that I, my first answer was not Jeremy, but when I was doing my dissertation, um, and teaching full-time and I had this before I was a teacher trainer, but I was doing like presentations and I was doing like a church. We were at a big, big church with a big music program. And I was the director of that. Hmm. And then doing, I was senior research assistant with music together. And I remember like thinking, I can't do this without Jeremy. So without a good partner supporting you and helping in the work, it is not possible Absolutely. to do it. So oh, that's yeah. the 45 minute long answer. No, I was just going to say I can relate to that a lot because I get asked that question a lot too. And I'm not in the classroom anymore, but I have full-time work with different side gigs. I'm doing right. things like that. But my husband is a huge supporter of mine. And, mm-hmm. you know, like we're recording this um, podcast episode at night and it was just like, okay, it's just tell him what I need. Yeah. And then he is not not watching our kids because they're our kids yeah. but yeah, you know but no, we, I understand what yeah you we take the load from each other and I'm in grad school right now and it's just mm. um there's it's a lot going rough. on but it yes. is about just yes. communicating your expectations and this is what I need tonight and then I tell people this too the man knew what he was getting when he met me yeah <laughs> when he met me I had yeah. four jobs I was teaching right. elementary music full-time I accompanied two children's choirs in Tulsa and I taught 20, about 20 to 25 piano studi- students at the Ooh. studio. And I, that's just always been my personality. Even in college, I was that person that did full-time school yep. and like okay. 900 side accompanying and <laughs> piano lessons. And, and I just always, that's just me. I have a hard time slowing down. So when you're saying that I have a hard time slowing down too, I want to take on all the things, but I'm also an introvert. And so it's funny because mm-hmm. when I tell people that they're like, what? You're a podcaster. What? You talk all the time. But yeah, but then when you do and you exert yourself a lot, eventually it gets to the point where I just, I have to have some quiet time. Yeah. Otherwise, I disconnect. I have to. So I feel you on that. Okay. So we're going to talk about building a sense of belonging in the music room. And I love this conversation. So just talk to me, first of all, about what does that mean to you? And what does it mean for you specifically with the students you work with and you teach? Okay. So yeah. um, Belonging in the music room is something I think that's come out of, for me, you know, kind of focusing on this, uh, come out of the path that I'm on um, becoming an anti-racist. This is something I've been talking about a lot. Um, I think that when I, when I consider what's happening in the classroom, um, I think there's a huge, uh, we're missing a huge potential with our students and that is to authentically connect with them. Um, and after a while, it just occurred to me, you know, what does belonging mean? Mm -hmm you know, in the classroom, not just the music classroom, but in education in the classroom. Uh, So I've been thinking about this, I think, especially with the issues we've had in the past five or six years um, that have, to be quite honest, (laughs) been festering in the underbelly of our culture for 
a couple of centuries, if not even longer than that. And in the past five or six years have been bubbling up more and more in these kind of uh, outward, terrible ways. Not to say that there hasn't been things coming out in terrible ways, but it just seems like more and more. And with the proliferation of uh, social media and stuff, we're seeing it more, which has a, a more immediate impact. So when I think about these things, and it's very important to say, you know, I'm not an expert on, you know, belonging um, and these things, but just when I think about it, I think that empathy, uh, I've been thinking about this a lot, maybe in the past few months, uh, is seriously lacking in our culture. And so um, I wanted to start with empathy because I think that empathy, when we have it <laughs> truly, leads to connection, which leads to belonging. Now, that's not some great thought out thing I've had, but it's just something I'm kind of milling over. Um, so when I start to talk about empathy, I think it's important to distinguish, at least it is for me, you know, what empathy is versus sympathy. And Brene Brown, and this is funny because I never quote Brene Brown. I don't really like listen to a lot, but everybody's like, you know, Brene Brown, right? And like, mm -hmm. I kind of know who she is, but I do know that everybody loves her. Mm -hmm. So this is me just name dropping a little bit with the Brene Brown. <laughs> uh, but she has this interesting description or contrast um, or comparison and contrast between sympathy and empathy. And she says, you know, sympathy is looking into a well where somebody has fallen and you kind of look down and you're like, Ooh, that's bad. Like, you know, you're recognizing mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. um, but empathy is climbing down into the well with the person um, and saying, I know what it's like to be here. And obviously there's a huge difference between these two things. And she goes on to discuss how empathy is a skill that can bring people together. Um, it can help people feel included. And sympathy creates sometimes uh, an uneven power dynamic that can potentially lead to like isolation, disconnection. So I don't think sympathy is always a bad thing. Mm -hmm. um, we send sympathy cards, you know, but it's, it can be very surface level. But empathy, you know, the ability to feel with someone I believe will really help us create more powerful emotional connections. And I've been saying this jokingly in the past, maybe like a year or so. Um, but I think it's true that this is not scientifically proven. But I believe that if we could get like 10% of humans to be 10% more truly em empathetic, the whole world would experience an exponential boost in like love and kindness, or at least. Mm -hmm maybe would just be less awful, you know? Yeah, yeah. So when I think about empathy, um, you know, globally, then I tend to kind of bring things to my classroom because when I, when I want to like change the world, you know, how am I going to do it? I always think we're really privileged in education because we're directly working with the next generation of adults, leaders, you know? So I'm working on building my own sense of empathy, you know, my skills in this area. And I want to guide students as they learn to recognize and hone their skills um, around empathy in a developmentally appropriate way. So to your question, like, you know, what do I do with students? 
oddly, not oddly, but one of the first things I try to do is help my students understand something that I think not everybody understands right away. And that's the power of putting ourselves in someone else's shoes. Mm. And I think that's one of those things where it's like, it sounds trite, but it's actually incredibly powerful because I think that as humans, we're masters of our own perspective, right? We we tend to kind of project our perspective and maybe I'm just talking, I'm doing it. I'm projecting my perspective of projecting perspective (laughs) on, on other people. But I think it's a real craft to truly imagine what somebody else's perspective is and allow that to kind of infiltrate your thinking and your action. And I think like this is one of the reasons I personally connect so much with the idea of story, whether it's like a movie, a song, a book, a podcast, you know, I learn so much, not only about myself when I read a really great story, but I learn about other people and other places and story is just incredibly powerful to me. So yeah, I have something in my room. So we're getting to a practical thing. here. Um, I have this bunch of things called, we're calling it the pillars of the music room. Um, It's something that I created in tandem with students, but I won't lie. I I stare a lot of it. (laughs) That's the truth. (laughs) Um, But one of these pillars, so we talked about like these pillars uphold this community we want to build. And that's something I do talk about with students all the time. This is our community. It's not just my classroom, mm. uh, which is how I used to be. Mm-hmm. I always say I'm a you know closet authoritarian, mm-hmm. uh, but now I'm trying to be more global. So we have these pillars and one of them, one that's really important that's plastered on the wall is the music room is a safe place to take a risk and make a mistake. And, you know, some people say like, well, how'd you get to that? Like, it makes sense, but how'd you get to that? Well, the truth is um, I realized that I couldn't expect students to sing and chant and play and create and move in solo on the regular in my class if they didn't feel safe doing so, or else it would just happen once and we'd be done. So spent a long time thinking, you know, like, how can I help students feel comfortable making music on their own? And even more, how am I going to help students support and encourage their colleagues in class to do the same? And you know what is so funny and amazing? (laughs) It was actually incredibly simple. Mm -hmm. And this I started doing years ago basically starting from kindergarten, which is when I first get students at my school. um, It was very simple. I start by talking about what it feels like to perform, Mm -hmm. right? To sing by yourself, to chant a rhyme by yourself, to move by yourself. And we say, you know, the way people feel about doing this is as different as people feel, right? Or as different as people are. Some people love it. And we'll be the first people up there to volunteer. Some people might think that's the last thing I would ever want to do. Some people are terrified. Most people are somewhere in between these things. So I say, well, here's the one thing that we know for sure. When we sing by ourselves, when we move by ourselves and people are watching us, it's a very vulnerable place to be. And I say to the kindergartners, imagine you're up here 
singing a song and you see some of your friends giggling. Now, you might not know why they're giggling. They could be laughing at a joke. They could be laughing at you. They could be laughing. You know, maybe one of them burped, right? Mm -hmm. But what does it make you feel? And I'm telling you, almost to a kid, I can see it on their faces. Every kid in the room is like, oh, that's bad. Mm -hmm. And so we just dialogue about this. What does it feel like? And the words are always the same when I ask them, just give me some words to describe how that would feel for you. Um, Embarrassing, sad, um, uh, sometimes mad. And we talk a little like, why mad? Well, because it's not polite for someone to laugh while I'm standing up there. So we kind of start that rhetoric. Like, what is it like um, to be vulnerable um, and how can we help each other be vulnerable? So we talk a lot in my classroom um, about being musical. That's our number one job. Our job here is to be musical. And that encompasses a lot of things like we want to be respectful. We want to have fun. We want to do. But really, I always say they didn't hire me to be the fun teacher. Um, I'm a what teacher, a music teacher. So I'm here to help you tap into your musicality and we're here to help each other become more musical. And that's one of our first goals is how can we help our friends be musical um, when we're being musical together in smaller groups and by ourselves. And then we all agree it can be scary. Mm-hmm. So we're going to make this a place where we train ourselves. Um, when Jess gets up to sing, even if she makes a mistake, we are going to be, um, we're going to look at her. And if we accidentally like smile or begin to laugh, we're just going to stop because that's a natural reaction. Mm -hmm. It's not wrong to have that feeling for a second of like, (laughs) right. But just imagine what it's like to be Jess standing up there. And they are so smart. They're so intuitive kids. They also drive me up a wall, but they're (laughs) lovely. (laughs) And they say things like, when I say, how can we help Jess? We can be kind. We can encourage her. We can remember that it's hard to stand in front of people. And I'm just telling you that we build a foundation this way. It's not perfect. Mm -hmm. And there, there are times when it falls apart and they have that inclination to start laughing. It just happened today. And it, but what's nice is it only takes a second to recenter and just say, let's be thoughtful. Let's think of these pillars. Uh, One of the pillars is I'm, I am loved and I matter. So I'll say, you know, are we helping Jess (laughs) Mm -hmm. using Mm -hmm. you as an example, you know, are we helping Jess to feel like she matters um, so you made a mistake laughing at her, just fix it, you know, and she'll extend you grace and you extend her grace and we'll just keep going on. This is making music in community. And I believe that this is the foundation to create real empathy. And I, as I said, believe that this empathy builds connection and it fosters belonging. So Absolutely. That's my first thing that I have to say. And I'm just talking and talking and talking, which feels odd as a podcaster. (laughs) No, I love it. No, I love everything you're saying. And I know that while you're working with music teachers, I'm sure you get these questions a lot of, I'm having a lot of classroom management issues with my students. And 
I think what you're saying a lot of times is, you know, a lot of times you just don't know what you don't know. And Mm -hmm. what I'm getting at is a lot of the classroom management issues I know for myself in the classroom, when I focused on relationship building and really starting to have these conversations where it made kiddos think like, oh, you're right. I didn't think about that. It started, like you said, it was not perfect, but things started to improve and they wanted to try harder and they were enjoying making music more versus if you don't ever go over those, if you're just going over the rules and procedures, which those are important, don't get me wrong. Sure. But if there's no connecting the students to each other and having a sense of belonging like you discussed, I think that is sometimes where classroom management issues come into play because maybe the kids don't understand like (laughs) proper etiquette and what to yeah. do in the class in the music classroom and what the expectations are if you're never discussing those things with them. And so I love that. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. And I think, I think like what you said is so good. It's like, I think if without context, it's just like how I feel about teaching music. Uh, I'm a big believer in, you know, sound before symbol and experience before labeling. Right. Because context is so much of learning. And so I could just come in and be like, here are my procedures, here are my rules, here are my things. And to be honest, I did it for many years. Right. Um, I could steer a classroom through the power of my personality. Now, not everybody can do that. And I found that out as I worked with student teacher after student teacher. And that's why I changed from thinking like behavior management to build a true community. And I think Uh, I'm finally starting to learn at my advanced age that this is key because the research tells us that belonging, even for younger children, is something that they don't just need. They crave it. And they're looking for at least one group affiliation outside of what happens in their home. At least Mm -hmm. one. Of course, they'd like many. they're looking for a place to belong. And if you've ever had this conversation like with your own students or your own children or somebody else's children, where it's like, you you might think in your mind like, "Uh uh-oh, I see like a potentially negative affiliation happening here. You know, like where you Mm -hmm. see like, this child is starting to attach to a group that could be problematic. Yeah. The thing is, they're gonna attach to a group. And so my thinking now is, I hope the music room is one of those groups. I want them to come into this music room, no matter what their aptitude is, no matter what their future musical involvement is, um, whether they never perform in an ensemble, whether they become a professional musician. I want students to feel like when I was in Dr. Strong's music room, Mm -hmm. I belonged there and I was important and I am musical at my own level. And so there are ways that we can foster real, I think, mm-hmm. uh, belonging that can be life-changing for these students. And I think when, first of all, when you even show your students that you want to do that, yeah, that goes a long way in showing them, I think she really cares about me. And that doesn't make everything perfect, right? but I think it, it just engenders um, like a reality in your relationship. Uh, I'll give you just one example. Absolutely. Make it as, you know, like anonymous as I can. Yeah. Uh, There's a student who is just one of those students. And I know even just saying that phrase, every teacher listening is like, "Mm mm-hmm, right? (laughs) 
Uh, he's one of those students, uh, a student where many teachers, and I don't blame them. Um, well, I don't blame them too much, but are like, oh, that kid, right? And I just got on this thing uh, where I was like, I am going to, I'm going to do everything I can to, to break through to this kid. He is, we, we have established what I believe is a real connection uh, and it's an imperfect connection, but it's a real connection. And that took some work on both mm-hmm. of our parts. And the reason I'm bringing up this up as an example is just this week, he was in the music room fooling around during the class and I was frustrated. And part of me thought, dude, <laughs> like this is supposed to be like, you're not supposed to do this in my mind. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the class, I didn't know what to do. I really felt just kind of like a failure for a moment. And I just thought, you know what? This is what a relationship is. And I said, listen, I don't know what's going on. I'm not pleased with the way things were happening today. Do you know what I'm talking about? And he said, yes. And I said, um, I'd like it to be different, but no matter what, I love you. Mm. And I know you love me. And let's just try to be a little bit better next time. So for me, that was a big thing because I was, I was like, this is a real relationship that I have with him. And now that sounds weird when I say it like that, but you know what I mean? Like, no, yeah, it's a connection. And he was like, I, he said, music is not my favorite, but I love you. And I know you love me and I'm going to try to be better next time. And so to me, that was a huge win. Absolutely. Um, And so. I don't know. That's one small thing uh, that I've done is look at the students who I, to be honest, would normally be like, oh, that kid. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm honestly thinking to myself, change your perspective. Mm. And that's very simple to say, but hard to do for me. Yeah. It is um, hard to do. It is hard to do because yes, you want them to. Well, you feel like, especially this point of the year, you've said your expectations so many times. They know what to expect and you have been working on building relationships. So yep. it's almost like in your head, you're thinking at this point, this child or any any kiddo that comes in your room should just get it. They should know what to do by now. And there's sometimes it's just not the case. And that is yep. so frustrating. And it's hard not to take it personally. And it's also hard to be like, absolutely, I'm a failure. What am I doing wrong here? But I love that perspective shift. I know somebody yep. listening to this is like, oh my gosh, I I can totally relate to that. Everyone can relate to that situation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. you know, and it's I it's like what I was also trying to say was I have this kind of catastrophic way of thinking where it's like, okay, here's my experiment. Mm. <laughs> this is just being very honest. So with this kid, it's like, okay, he, you know, I'm gonna just really try to get to know him and forge this relationship. And then I do it and it's going well. And then in one class, it falls apart. And my old tendency would be to be like, well, like I said, that experiment failed. So um, recently I've created a couple of presentations that kind of center around issues of anti-racism, um, anti-bias, anti-ableism kind of instruction. And, and one of the things I talked about was fostering belonging. And if you'd like me to, I can just share, I can just like read through my list, yeah. one of the lists of like just a few ways uh, 
to begin to build a foundation for belonging in your classroom. Absolutely. I think that'd be perfect. Yeah. So I have this list, which I'll just read through, but I do just want to say two things. Number one, it's not a comprehensive list. It's literally just something that I thought out and and thought like, what are some practical things that um, teachers can do to try to start to build this sense um, of belonging for students in their class? And the second thing is as a teacher, I totally understand uh, the feeling of, you know, you start to hear a list and you get overwhelmed. So what, what I would encourage you to do as you listen to this is first of all, you don't have to do any of it right Mm now. Um, But maybe there's one thing in the list that's like, I think I can do that. Um, I hope you can find one thing. So here are just a couple of things. Uh, The first thing I have is tell your story because students feel closer to um, and better like teachers when they feel uh, that they are alike. And this is from research. Um, but also Carla Bell, the um, graceful educator, she was on my podcast and just a wonderful uh, person and teacher. You know, she talked about being vulnerable with students. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you've heard me talking for a long time now. You're not going to be shocked to hear. That's easy for me. I've done this like my whole career. I'm just TMI, Dr. Strong. But I've learned there are teachers who are not like that, um, who don't share personal things, you know, and I don't mean like, you know, inappropriate personal things, but I just mean don't share about their life. So knowing that um, your vulnerability with students helps them feel more connected to you and therefore more connected to your classroom and what you're doing, that's powerful. Mm -hmm. I encourage teachers to capitalize on their right to access student IEPs. Um, I think we are not told about this and might not even know we have the right to it, but that can give us a lot of information. Um, I think it is imperative that in our discussions, when we're making music, when we're talking about music, that we encourage um, developmentally appropriate higher level thinking through a lot of questions and discussions with students. Um, and, and we should aim as we do this for very high levels of engagement and challenge in our class. Um, because this same research about belonging also talks about the fact that um, it's important to students when they see our commitment to our um, subject area or areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, This is something I think we hear about a lot, but can be difficult, but we have to better learn how to consider student perspective and preference when we are designing instruction. And I think, you know, when I say that, there will be some teachers who are like, of course, Missy, why are you telling us this? And there are some teachers, to be quite honest, who do not think like this. And I used to be one of them. I honestly didn't really think beyond like, this will be fun. when I thought about instruction. But when we do this, we are communicating to our students that they are the center of what we are doing. Um, And we give them great joy when we consider what they love as we teach. Um, Here's a big one that I noticed a lot of student teachers uh, with whom I work did not do automatically. And that is considering um, 
possible issues that can impede flow in the music classroom proactively Hmm. um, as opposed to reactively. So uh, for example, I just did a new um, activity with a game uh, with, excuse me, a game with these, I call them noodle hands, which are like cut pieces of uh, pool noodles because you can't hold hands. And I think I got that idea from Amy Abbott and I could see the problems beforehand. So I address that with the students. Remember, our goal is to be musical. When I put something in your hands, it's understandable that you want to hit something, hit someone. Yeah. So before we start, let's talk about what it's going to look like when we use these. Um, and this is not necessarily related to that, but we need to model for our students and guide students into how to use their voice to advocate for themselves and for others um, in the classroom in a way that works best for the community. So what I mean is like not yell at the teacher, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. but learn how to speak up for themselves. So one thing that we can do with students is um, give them the ability to, (laughs) to critique us. Hmm. which is difficult. You see for me, like I'm like the Fonz for you old people out there. Like <sighs> I can barely say it where we can <laughs> say to students, how am I doing? Let them evaluate us, teach them how to do it in a way that's constructive. Right. And not just elated to be able to critique the teacher Yeah, <laughs> and be open to what they actually say to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've started doing this thing where it's like, how am I doing? And it's things like, uh, piece of paper where it's like today I felt like Dr. Strong did or did not notice me. Hmm. That's a big one. Today I felt like um moving brought me joy, didn't do much for me, made me embarrassed. Like there are ways for them to talk to us about what's happening. And I just want to end by saying something that could be obviously like a whole lecture, we want to uh, build belonging in our classroom by ensuring that what we are doing is culturally relevant to our students, uh, that the, the repertoire that we choose, uh, the words that we use, the labels that come out of our mouths um, positively reflect every student that sits in front of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know of many things that could foster belonging more than being able as a student to look around and listen and see myself reflected in what's happening in the music room. And I'll end this part by, by just saying um, we're doing a lot about, of course, Black History Month. Uh, this, as we're recording it, is February but I am thrilled to say that every class, including kindergarten in my building knows February is a time for us to celebrate and highlight black history, but it is not the only time we talk about black excellence. Absolutely. And one thing that brought me so much joy was um, we were talking about how many amazing just American black music artists there are um, from a you know a myriad genres and you know disciplines 
And I saw these kindergartners light up. And this one Mm. little boy who I could just see in my head, he was like, Dr. Strong, we talk about, you know, we talk about black excellence at my house. My dad says black excellence. Like he seemed so like he couldn't believe that I was saying this same thing. And he's like, we talk about the same things. And I'm like, and I'm so glad. And you're teaching me. And we're going to keep talking about this. He lit up in a way that I had not seen him do, which makes me a little sad because I must not be doing my job Mm. great, but that's what we want. Uh, We want to foster belonging by making sure that we are reflecting and representing the human beings who are in our classrooms. That's great. That's great. (laughs) Oh, no, this whole I'm taking (laughs) notes for myself over here. (laughs) So good. You just touched on that about, you know, bring in music your kids love, make it relevant to them. And Mm -hmm. one way by doing that and is about not just teaching Western based music. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And and that's unfortunately in a lot of, I mean, I don't know, I went to school in the dinosaur ages, so I don't know what it's like now, but I know that's what I was taught, you know, and it was, that was it. But when I got to my school and I would try to do Alabama gal and I had predominantly school of black children looking at me like, who, you know, what is it? They didn't connect with that. And I realized quickly there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Using that song in my classroom, but that can't be it. It Yes. And I remember even back in the day doing these things and talking about it at workshops with other music teachers. And I would get these looks like mm-hmm. you're doing what in your room? You're bringing hip hop in. I was you're probably doing- one of those people giving yeah. you a look, so you see. <laughs> and the reason I did is because I was losing these kids. I was in yeah. a situation where there hadn't been music for seven years, but also on top of that, I knew I needed to connect with them and I knew I needed to do it kind of quickly because they already didn't really know what a music class was. And I didn't, right. either, let's be honest, I was fresh out of college. So I'm <laughs> right. like, listen, we're all learning together here. Okay. Right. But that's it, hard to do. It's hard to do. Oh, it, yes. You know, yes. especially when you're not taught in college that you can do that. And like, nobody gave you right. permission. You're not even, you know? I mean, it's, it's not only frowned upon, mm-hmm. you know, the implication is um, doing so is like, is bad for students. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know because I was one of those people, right? Because I was just regurgitating what had been uh, given to me. Now, mm-hmm. I'm responsible for that. Uh, I'm responsible for what I did. I'm not saying, you know, it's the fault of every person it, who taught yeah, me, no. but that is, you know, in many conservatories and many mm-hmm. undergrad programs, mm-hmm. the truth is, you know, Western European classical music or Western European canon is the end all be all. And that is like our great gift to the world is to teach what sometimes I believe is code talk, Mm -hmm. um, quality music, excellent music um, with the understanding that means anything outside of that is bad music. And so you are right. One of the ways we can foster belonging is to um, bring in the music of the students who are in front of us. And that can mm. mean like culturally, mm-hmm. right? Like 
you know, this is your cultural heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, this can mean music that you love and connect with. That's modern. Right. And these are not just valid ways of teaching music. I believe they are essential ways mm-hmm. of teaching music. And again, I am not saying throw out the Western European canon. Right. Absolutely. I'm saying we need to change the balance. Yeah. Um, that Western canon has wonderful parts to it and has parts that we all need to learn and can benefit from, mm-hmm. but not in the ratio I believe we were taught <laughs> it oh, should I... be, which is like 98%. And then every once in a while, bring in a nice fun song. Um from your pop music, you know? (laughs) And so I have a 100% let that go. It took a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now I'm just embracing it and Mm -hmm. saying, this is, this is how I will um, light these students' faces up Mm -hmm. and help them to remember that they are musical and that they are important and that they are the center of my instruction. Mm-hmm. I don't always do it well, but I'm learning how to do it more. And that's the goal, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, n- it should be. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's, there's no one that's going to be perfect. There's no teacher yeah. that's going to be perfect at what they do. And I feel like the main goal is to give yourself grace and to try. And if you're making yep. an effort with your students, they're going to see that and acknowledge that. And that's going to go, you mentioned earlier, it's going to go a long way when you're making an effort to connect with your students and to create a sense of belonging in your classroom. Well, it's, they're also going to notice you making an effort to bring in music they enjoy and that they connect yeah. with as well. That's yeah. huge. That's huge for relationship yeah. building and belonging yeah. in the classroom. Can you give a practical example about, I mean, maybe just think back to even like the last couple of weeks of a way you brought in a piece of music that maybe resonated with a student or students that really enjoyed a particular song, how you tied it into a lesson plan and putting well, it on the spot here. <laughs> no, that's okay. I think, well, this isn't going to be like, um, like a completely like some great hip hop song, but mm-hmm. this just happened today. Yeah. And that is, um, as part of, uh, black history month, I'm going through like, so now we have these, you know, black musicians from, you know, Amer- and I'm focused on black, focusing on black American musicians. Mm-hmm. And I say like from a long time ago and from today. And so one of, in, with the kindergartners again, uh, in first grade, I'm introducing Ella Fitzgerald and we're singing Tisket a Tasket. We're playing the game. I'm showing them uh, a clip of, Ella singing it in a movie, in a black and white movie, which freaks them out. Um, and another kid lit up, went home and brought in um, a book that she reads with her parents about Ella Fitzgerald. And she was so excited. And what I loved was this was the best. She actually didn't bring it in to show me. She wanted to show her class, which just meant to me that. And then she did come and tell me because I think, you know, the teachers were talking with her. She was so excited to hear about Ella Fitzgerald in her class. So she brought it to her class. There was just something cool about she didn't just bring it right to me and say, Dr. Strong, look, here's a book Mm -hmm. about Ella Fitzgerald. She read the book to her class. She did all these things. Um, And so 
that's one practical thing. Yeah. But what and one last thing is um, I have this big slide that I made. It took me hours because I was trying to show the kids if I had the time, here are all the black American musical artists. I wish I could teach you about. Mm. Um, and that's why I say February is not enough. February yeah. is not enough. So I have a slide, all these pictures. I mean, so many, and I tell them, and there's so many that are missing. And, um, today, <laughs> which is after the Super Bowl, they, the fourth graders went off because they're like, there's two guys on there who were in the Super Bowl. So they saw Snoop Dogg and they saw Dr. Dre, um, who most of them knew, a lot of them knew Snoop Dogg a little bit. None of them knew who Dr. Dre was. And now they're all about it because they saw it at the Super Bowl. I love it. So those are just some practical, I mean, it's not like their activities, but we're talking about these musicians. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you for giving those ideas. Those are awesome. You're welcome. So we've talked about so much. Yes. We any have. other advice about anything you've already talked about today or anything else you want to leave with music teachers listening? Well, there is one thing I'd like to say that I realized as we were just finishing that last part up real quick. You know, when we're talking about bringing in the music, you know, of your students, um, making uh, making it so students are reflected. And I also like to say, you know, there's this thing about, you know, we provide mirrors so we can reflect students um, and windows so that students can look out into a new world. And I've heard this newer one that's like sliding doors. So they're actually involved, right? So like, for example, in my heritage, there's uh tinny fling, the Filipino dance. And so helping students do that is providing a sliding door. They're not just learning about tinikling or watching something they're actually doing it but i just want to caution everybody and i always say i'm not like a a, uh vetted kodai practitioner Mm -hmm. but i have learned the importance in the past few years of doing my due diligence when it comes to what i bring into the classroom and this might be the hardest practical thing for me is doing my research 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 on any piece of music any video Uh, that I'm going to bring in, I am learning to vet that uh, repertoire, that game, that activity, and make sure as much as I can, and I will make mistakes, but I just keep getting better at doing my research. And I want to encourage teachers to um, look for authentic repertoire and activities, not like, oh, here's some great Korean music written by this white guy. Right. And so I'll tell you the truth. 10 years ago, if I was like, oh, I need a Korean song, I'm just going to go to J.W. Pepper, mm-hmm. look through the thing, Korean. Oh, great exotic world music. OK, boom. You know, yes. <laughs> and this just happened to me. I have a huge population of Indian students and I have been looking for authentic um, children's music from India, modern or otherwise. I cannot tell you what a struggle I am having. Now that could just be me, mm-hmm. but two times I came across something and it's so funny. Now I'm jaded. Like I see folk yeah. songs from India and for half a second, my teacher's heart is like, yes. And then I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> and I look and who is it? A white guy from the nineties. Yeah. Right. So we have to do our due diligence. 
we have to try to bring in and compensate culture bearers uh, when we can. We have to learn from the families who are in our buildings um, when they're willing to teach us and uh, teach our students. And we just have to do uh, the research. So that's one thing. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I think is a good way to end it is um, an encouragement to all of us to be gentle and reasonable with ourselves and uh, with our colleagues and with our students and maybe every other week with our admin. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm a little hard on the admin and the supervisors, but I think I think this is true all the time, but especially in the past two years, uh, we are going through it. Uh, and I can't imagine a better time to remind ourselves that we are human beings who can feel a, just a whole spectrum of feelings about teaching. Uh, somebody I love dearly was just texting me and said, I do not know how you can stand to talk about music education right now. He's like, mm -hmm. I don't like music right now. And I don't like education. I am tired. Um, and I said, I know that doesn't feel like it, but I understand exactly what you're talking about. And that is an entirely valid way to feel. And you are still a music teacher, mm -hmm. whether you love teaching in the moment, you hate it. You are somewhere in between. You are a music teacher. And you are so much more than a music teacher. That's just one thing you do. So if you don't love it, it's okay. If you love it, don't feel bad about that. Um, be gentle and reasonable with yourself and protect your peace. This is something that I'm saying to myself over and over again. Um, and I'll leave you with this. I just presented in Colorado and shout out to the Colorado people I love. I did you know, three very intense workshops. When the third one was over, I was exhausted. As you know, it's exhausting mm. uh, to do this. It's wonderful, but it is exhausting. And I went back to the hotel room. And my first thing was looking at my email. And I just thought to myself, oh, I should probably start working on this presentation. I should probably answer these 20 emails. I should, you know, I have this class coming up. And it's I had to physically say, and I'm not good at this, close the laptop. You do not have to answer these things right now. And I'm yeah. not lying. It's a, it's a struggle yeah. for me. But when I did that, I had the best night. And I just said to myself, it's okay. I, through the night, I had to say, it's okay. Because I'd be like, maybe if I could just answer this one. Nope. Mm -hmm. So people out there from a number one overachiever, protect your peace. It's going to be okay. You can get to that email later. So that's the last thing I think I have to say about oh, this whole episode. <laughs> Missy, you have no idea. It's been amazing. I'm Thank sorry. I feel so like much. I'm, I am talking so, so much, even for me in that same thing. No, but you have so much to share. <laughs> this is amazing. No, amazing. I loved it all. And I know the teachers listening in are getting so much value from this. And so I appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming and sharing your knowledge and just your heart for that matter. And I want you to let everybody know where they can connect with you after they listen in. Sure. Um, you come to my house. That's 
Um, <laughs> You're like, please don't do that. <laughs> I always make this joke. My family's like, oh yeah, mom's available. She's too available. She's available to everybody except us. Um, no, my kids, they're actually very good about it. And they like to razz me about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to connect with people. Um, obviously I'm a big social media person and I'm not ashamed of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a Facebook group called Music Ed with Missy. Um, that is a fantastic group of, uh, practitioners who I'm just really loving, uh, same thing, music ed with Missy on Instagram. And I'm at Twitter at docstrong26. That's my first social media. I think, uh, I would really love, um, for people to go listen to the master teachers and thinkers that I have been privileged to interview, on the Music Ed Amplified podcast, um, a platform where I've really tried to commit myself to elevating the voices of BIPOC um, educators and thinkers and entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. because I'm really proud of the work uh, so far. And the feedback that I'm getting from teachers is that they are incredibly challenged. They don't always agree. Many of them do. I'm glad to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that when it comes to, I love to just, cause I'm a star Wars nerd. Um, I, I love to call them Jedi issues. My friend came up with that. My friend Sharon, uh, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. And so I would love for people to go listen to that because I want them to support these, um, educators, uh, and also just to say, cause it's funny. I have a teacher pay teacher store. That's just something I never thought I would ever say. Um, <laughs> music Ed with Missy and um, a buy me a coffee thing of a bobber where I share resources and all that stuff. And a lot of that goes to help the Music Ed Amplified podcast. So awesome. that's it. Awesome. Well, everybody make sure to connect with Missy after this episode. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've loved this episode so much. Well, I appreciate it. I thank you for the work that you're doing. um, And thank you for inviting me here. Well, hey there. Thank you so much for listening into the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. There is an exclusive Facebook group just for listeners of this podcast and any elementary music teacher called the Elementary Music Teacher Community Facebook group. Come on over and join us there where we have conversations around the podcast episodes and encourage each other each and every week. And also head to my website, thedomesticmusician.com. I have some free resources there that you can download to help you gain traction in your classroom today as well as the blog and the membership site and all kinds of other goodies to help you keep going in your music teaching journey. I cannot wait to keep connecting with you and encouraging you and spurring you on in your journey of teaching elementary music. Hang in there, have an amazing week, and I will see you soon.